Good morning. Retract, start out. Good afternoon. Man, that's muscle memory right there. Years of morning church. How are we doing? You doing all right? I'm excited about today. I got some, I don't know. There's, like, theoretically, you're a pastor, you should always be excited about church. Yeah, I, I am. But there's days that are more than others. And this is, this is like one of those days. Feel me? All right, good, good, good. <laughs> um, let me pray. And we're going to get right into the God's word. Um, Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you'd open our hearts. And we ask that your word would transform us. Pray that your spirit would fill us. Pray that you'd give us courage and vulnerability to let you in. Um, and God, we just we pray that your church would be on mission with you, pursuing and seeking your face, Lord. And for those that don't know you today, God, I pray that you would break in in a gentle way into our lives today and reveal yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My, my prayers as we're in chapter 16 now of Acts has been my prayer through this whole book, that God would use these stories of how he formed the early church to speak to us today and to form us today to look like his church and advance his mission in our, in our world, in Boston and beyond. And so as a quick recap from last week, what we saw is Paul is now in Philippi. Um, Holy Spirit redirected them multiple times to send them to Mas this region called Macedonia. And they meet this these women, one woman named Lydia. She, was a, um, she sold purple merchandise. It was legal business, remember? Okay. Um, she was doing very well, and she gets radically saved and becomes a follower of Jesus. And her whole household becomes followers of Jesus. And so now Paul and Silas and company, they're going to the place of prayer. And as they're going there, they're being harassed by this woman with an oppressive spirit. And um, she's just harassing them over and over again. And finally, Paul releases her from her oppressive spirit. And she becomes herself again. And the people that were making money from her become extremely angry. And they arrest Paul and Silas. They beat them. And they throw them in prison without a trial. And this is where we find them right now in jail. Exciting stuff. All right. <laughs> um, so I, I, I know if, if you've been around church long enough, if you've been in Sunday school long enough, you've read these stories, you've heard about Paul and Silas, you've, you have maps in the back of your Bible about their journeys, and it's easy, to I think, sometimes to see these people as superstars or superhuman and just think, man, they have, they have, they have this superpower that they're able to take all this punishment, but I want you to understand that Paul and Silas were human, that they felt pain and they felt disappointment. They, if it was cold outside, they felt cold. If they didn't eat for an amount of hours, they got hungry. If, you know what I mean? Like they were human. So I don't want us to blow past this too fast. Paul and Silas were publicly beaten with rods. They were stripped of their clothing. I want you to understand that that was painful and humiliating to be beat in front of the whole town. And they were doing this. It happened to them because they were doing God's work. And I just want you to take a second. I want you to think through maybe a painful experience or time in your life where you might have felt abandoned or left for dead. And I want you to be able to just place yourself in Paul's 
footsteps. Paul's in an unfamiliar city. You may be new to Boston in an unfamiliar place. And he's broken and he's bruised. And he's, he's in a jail cell and he could possibly have feelings toward the system that arrested him unjustly. The jail, the guards, and, and maybe even God because he was doing God's work. Paul and Silas, they're in jail, and I want you to get this. They're hurting. I want you to understand they had open wounds. And I, don't, I, mean, I have like a little cut in my mouth, and I'm complaining, and I'm miserable. <laughs> I'm like, I can't sleep. Give me something to rub on it. Like they have wounds in their body because they've been beaten, and now they're in jail, and it's hard to sleep. And so they're laying on the floor. There's no posturepedic or temperpedic mattresses. They're laying on the floor. It's cold. They're probably hungry. They're in shackles. It's dark. It's dank. They're surrounded by other prisoners. Remember, they're in the inner cell of a maximum security prison, and this probably could be up to 50 people in this area. And there's not multiple stories. I mean, it's one room. And I don't know about you. I would think I'd have a lot of reasons to complain at that moment. I have a lot of things to be ungrateful for. And then what we find as we read this text is they do not complain. As a matter of fact, they do the opposite. They worship. And I want, I, want, I want to speak a little bit to their posture and why they are worshiping. One commentator says this about this passage. In fact, it is even possible that they worship God not only in but for their sufferings as a faithful expression of confidence in God's love and sovereignty. I want you to get there. They're not worshiping God through, they're worshiping God in their suffering. Acts 5, Peter and the apostles, they get arrested, they get beat, they get released. And it says, upon their release, here's what they said. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I know that's getting no one excited right now. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to, I don't want to suffer disgrace. <laughs> rather not, I'd rather read stories about other people suffering disgrace and worshiping God. See, and here's here's what happens when they're in a cell and as they're they're worshiping God, what they see and experience doesn't damper their perspective. Instead, they, they lean in to what they know about God. All right, you, are you following me? They're in a jail cell, and they could go, okay, I'm going to look at this jail cell as the worst-case scenario. I could look at this jail cell as the abandonment of God. I could look at this jail cell at the end, or I could look at who God is. I could look at what his track record is and respond to that instead of responding to what I see and what I feel. That's... That's the fuel that pushes them to worship. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. It's midnight. They can't sleep. They're on the floor. Think of all the scenario that I told you. And they're singing and praying to God. See, many of us, I think, when we think of, of worship, we imagine conditions that, that match Worship, right? Worship should be joyful. The weather should be great. There should be great songs and arrangements, and the lighting should be perfect. And I usually equate worship that with things that are going good, like things are good. So I worship in response to things going good. Well, how many of us can sing in the dark? How many of us can worship when we're down and out? 
See, I think oftentimes we've been taught to relate to worship as joy, but we view joy as something that happens on the outside, something that happens to us. And when God is trying to say joy is something that's in you because of what Jesus has done for you. The psalmist, Psalm 119, says this, Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. See, what, what worship does is it changes our perspective. It fixes our eyes and realigns our hearts on what's most true about God. Though Paul and Silas are in chains, they are more free than it appears. See, for many of us, when trials come in our lives, the first thing we do is abandon worship. I can't sing right now. I can't go to church right now. I got to fix this. I got to do something with my life. I'm gonna, I'll get back to that when things are going good. And instead of singing Tasha Cobb's Break Every Chain, you all know that one? Instead of singing Break Every Chain, there's power in the name of Jesus. We're trying to break our own chains in the power of ourselves. I'm trying to preach this right now, people. And I wanted to sing Break Every Chain, but I'm going to let the worship team sing. Um, <laughs> See, Jesus calls us to lean in and to seeking the heart of the Father, especially in the midst of trials. Jesus, upon being betrayed with his disciples, went out and sung hymns. Jesus in the garden is praying to the Father. Jesus on the cross is praying and speaking to the Father. Charles Spurgeon says this, any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but the skillful, skillful, skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to be read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. Man, this, this message is a call to worship, church. So many of the psalms that we read are worship songs, and they're written in the midst of trial and despair. If you get anything from today, worship follows suffering. Worship follows suffering, then joy comes. Here's what the disciples and the psalmist realize. God is in the trial God is in the trial. God is in the fire. God is in whatever's going on around you. And joy is a promise from God that comes in the morning. And so at midnight, as the clock is ticking, how will you bring in the morning? Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about all the things that will, that will come your way as a follower of Jesus as far as popularity and persecution and all those things. And then he says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. God has said eternity in our hearts. And, and worship, as we talk about worship, it's, it's the valve for joy to spring up. God is... You hear over and over in the psalms, he's given us a new song. God has given us a new song. New songs are often birthed through adversity. This, this, and this is, this is the, 
to me, this is the gift of the black church is the songs, is the music. Why? Because these songs were written in adversity because they believed in a God who can over, who overcomes. They believe in a, the God of liberation and they write songs based on what they know best about God regardless of what's going on in front of them. Paul is in Philippi. This is where he wrote the book to the Philippians. And he says in Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians is the book that's known about joy and rejoicing. It's like our theme um, book of, of this church written from jail. We thank God while in our circumstance. Not because we love the circumstance, but because we love the God who's in the circumstance with us. Jew Jewish pietists believe that God would reward the righteous, though suffering, blessed God. That, God. that God honors those who bless him regardless of what they're going through. See, worship is, is not an elective. It's imperative that we as the people of God worship Jesus, that we, we redirect our heart's gaze. And it's, com it's commanded in the, in, the, in the Levitical system that worship should happen around the clock, that there was always a, a continual fire that would happen in front of the altar called Aish Tamed, a constant fire that prayers and supplication and praise should go around the clock because why? Because God's worthy. So that's what we do when we worship we bless God in all seasons, continuously. No matter what the season, we, we bless him. And when we say bless, it means we speak well of him. We speak of his character. We speak of his faithfulness. Lord, we bless your name. We give thanks that you're here. We thank you, God, that you finish what you start. We thank you, God, that you are promise-making and a promise-keeping God. God, when things seem impossible, you say that you are the God of the possible. You are a redeemer, God. You're a restorer. You are a healer. You are a reconciler. You are almighty. You're a king of kings. You're alpha. You're omega. Those things that you'll find that as you start to say them and you, you, your heart will start to percolate. And sometimes you have to say these things for your heart to catch up and go, yeah, that's true about God. I know for many of us it's been a hard season. It's been a hard couple of years. For some of us, it's been a hard life. We all have our hardships. We have dark nights of the soul. We don't always feel like singing songs. We don't always feel like talking to God, but even more so, we need to worship. He's the God of breakthrough. He can break through the darkest of nights. Sometimes he breaks through and busts open prison doors and takes off shackles. Other times he comes in with his kabod, his presence, and lets you know he's there. Philippians 4, 5 through 7 says, Let your gentleness be evident at all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer, and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Listen, God is closer than you think. He's coming. He's close to the broken. If you're broken, if you're lost, if you're desperate, he's close. He's near. He lifts up those who are bowed down. 
If you feel like you're in prison or you're overwhelmed with problems and grief, just know this, God is able. He's able to guard your heart. He's able to guard your mind. He draws near to you when you call on his name. God has deposited songs in your heart. Sing what's in there. This is, this is a big deal, church. Singing and praying and reciting God's faithfulness and character and love, that's what builds us up. You with me? Yeah, when we, when, we, when we recite God's goodness and his faithfulness, when we sing, we talk scripture, and we pray, we're being built up. We're, we're being formed into the image of Jesus. And when we do that collectively, we start to create a place where heaven and earth intersect. You've, you've, if you've been around church long enough, you've probably been fortunate enough to be in a space where you're like, wow, something's happening here. There's something in the way that God is presenting himself that feels important, that feels stronger, that feels, there's, there's some unity in the way we're singing in our agreement and our hunger for God that's attracting him, that he's here. And our, I feel like our singing matters right now because God's responding to it. It says they were singing and they're praying and the other prisoners were listening. They weren't complaining. The music was doing something in the life of the prisoners inside of this prison. Our declarations and songs of praise in real-life circumstances not only bless God and change us, but are a witness to others. You, you may not realize this right now, but the world is watching you. People are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. Your neighbors are watching you. That, that honorary uncle is watching you. They're watching you what you post. They're watching what you do, right? And, and especially when things go awry, because they want to see how you're going to respond. These prisoners are at rock bottom, and they see... Paul and Silas also what appears to be their rock bottom, and what are they doing? Man, they're declaring the goodness of God in a jail cell. And these prisoners, they experience the God of the rescue through Paul and Silas embodying Jesus in their circumstance. Another commentator says this about Paul and Silas. Though their bodies were still bleeding and tortured in the stocks, their spirits, under the expulsive power of a new affection, rose above the suffering and made the prison walls resound with their song. Oh, man, that, that is the stuff that God responds to. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to quote theologians with long names that you can't even understand what they're saying. You don't have to do that. If you have a voice, if you have a burden, and you express that and let that out, that's the kind of stuff that God's pleased with. That's what God responds to, and that's what will change people's lives because they go, that's real. That's real. They literally change the atmosphere of the prison. God is not just the God of the mountaintops. He's the God in the valley of the shadow of death. God gives songs in the night. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's a major key I want you to grasp. Getting out of this wasn't the motivation for their worship. They were praying and worshiping God because he is worthy. Full stop. 
Suddenly, verse 26, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Pay attention to those two words, all and everyone's. This is a story about liberation, people. Not just for Paul and Silas, but the liberation of those who are spiritually and emotionally in anguish. Don't miss liberation in the scriptures because if you do, you miss the scriptures altogether. Because this is a story of liberation and it starts in Exodus. Where God is liberating and making a people for himself. Paul and, so the. I want you to understand, they sing, they're worshiping, everyone's listening, the place shakes, doors are open, shackles are broken off, and at that moment, I would run. Right? Oh, man, let's go, let's go. Right? Um, Paul and Silas don't, don't run. They stay. In a sense, they delay their own liberation for the sake of others. What God is doing in your life is not just for you. I, I would just say, let that one sink in. What God is doing in your life is not just for you. Our liberation is tied to our neighbors. Our neighbor's liberation is tied to ours. The ministry and mission of Jesus is to set prisoners free. I can only imagine a world or start to imagine what a world could look like if people like us laid down our comforts and our preferences, our popularity, our time, um, our control of outcomes for the sake of Jesus. What if, what if the place or circumstance or season that you find yourself in is to point out to others who God really is? You may find yourself in a place that you don't want to be in and you're trying to work so hard to get out of it with your own resources and God is like, I placed you there because you can't minister to people in the jail if you're not in jail. They're, they're strategically placed in this place and they, they were not going to minister to this guard and these guys in this prison if they weren't in there. And sometimes God puts us in places and situations that are not comfortable that we don't like because if you worship here, if you embody the life of Jesus here, it will change the atmosphere. Church, Jesus came to earth and took on flesh. God became human to minister to us. Where might he be sending us in the world? Verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The guard thought his life was over, that he blew his post. And in this time, if you, if you blow your post, if you lose prisoners, you most likely die. And he knew that his heart couldn't shoulder the punishment, the shame, the disgrace that would come his way if these prisoners escaped. And for him, suicide was the remedy. It was the only way out. And Paul shouts important words, don't harm yourself. He, he can say don't harm yourself because he has an answer, because he has something greater for this man's life. We Without the power of Jesus, we can't actually change anybody. We can't help anyone. We can do some good deeds on the surface, but to radically change somebody, we need the power of Jesus. 
Paul says to him, essentially, in these phrases, do not harm yourself, Paul is saying to him, things aren't as they appear. You think this is the end. You think it's over. This, things are not actually how, how they appear. Actually, this situation is better than you ever imagined. I, I don't know what you're going through, and if you feel like there's nowhere to run, there's nowhere to turn, but I want to say that God has a better plan. He can take your pain, he can take your shame, he can take your guilt, and he can transform you with his love and shower you with grace. The jailer, verse 29, called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out, and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? One commentator says this, This seismic event has shaken loose from the jailer's heart the key religious question of his age. What must I do to be saved? Another translation says, I love the way it says, it says this. In verse 30, it says this. He brought them outside and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do so that I may live? How can I have a real life that is not dependent on what happens around me, but something greater inside of me that can sustain me, that can give me a reason to live, that can make me really alive? Listen, rock bottom is the location of revival. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. You and your household, you'll be saved, you'll be rescued, you'll be transformed, you'll be, you'll be healed, you'll be free. Listen, Jesus came to rescue those who are lost. He came to find those who are lost. He came to heal those who are sick. He didn't come for the healthy. He didn't come for those who had it all together. One of his critiques of one of the churches in the Revelation is like, you think that you have it all together. And then you actually miss me if you think you have it all together. I've come for those who recognize their need for something more, their need for rescue. This is how you get gloriously transformed. This is how you can sing songs while locked in the inner cell of a first century Roman prison when you know what Jesus has done for you. When you know what he has done for you, to know that you've been given a new lease on life, that you were trapped, that you had no way out, and Jesus broke in and set you free and fills you with his life. You should get excited about that. All right. <laughs> Put, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. Like we, we say these words in church. Think about what you're struggling with. Put your trust in Jesus. Put all your trust in Jesus. Not just one area of your life, your whole life. Put your trust in Jesus. Lose, if you lose your life, you will get life. That's the promise of Jesus. Fling wide the doors of your heart. Jesus will come in and change your life. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their rooms, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The jailer was on the cusp of ending his life and encounters the Saving power of Jesus and is radically changed on the spot. Listen, God does that. And I know there's some of us that we, there's a skeptic part of us, like, no, God doesn't really do that. Man, because I, I haven't really experienced that. And 
Sometimes churches, they give a lot of hype, you know, to get your attention. I just want to say God does that. God changes lives. I walked into a church 23 years ago, and God wrecked me. God told me, There's, I have something for your life. I, I've saved you from so many different things that you don't even realize, and I saved your life, and I walked out of there a different person. I cried for the first time since I was a kid. God does that. God took away things in my life and broke them off my life in that moment and told me that I was his son. That changed my life on the moment. God does that. This is, this, this is what's fascinating. This gentleman, this jailer, he begins to wash Paul and Silas his wounds. He brings them to his house. He washes their wounds and feeds them. My family is a come of a long line of corrections. That doesn't happen. We're like, Dad, why are you bringing these prisoners home? <laughs> you don't even understand, son. I just got saved. <laughs> Sorry. He brings, he brings them to his house. And he said, everyone, like, I want you to listen to what these men have to say. And his whole family gets baptized on the spot. They wash their wounds and they feed them. Repentance restitution, reconciliation, reparations, all happens in that spot. And what it says is, he was filled with joy. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He had just put his trust in Jesus. And what happened? He was filled with joy. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you said, if you said yes to Jesus as Lord, at some point you've known this joy. And if you don't feel it right now, I just want to let you know it's still in there. And Paul told Timothy in one of his letters to Timothy that stir it up. This is, this is not hype. Stir it up. If, if you said Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit's in you. God's word is in you. Jesus dwells in you. Fan it into flame. This, this comes back to worship. Commentators, sages in the scripture show us that worship is connected to prophetic inspiration. Kingdom imagination. This is how Paul got here. He was praying and God gave him a vision. Acts 69 hit a vision of a man from Macedonia who said, come over to Macedonia and help us. Church, I believe that there's stories like this ready to be birthed right here in our community. I believe there's stories like this ready to be birthed within our families, within our places of work, within our neighborhoods, within our cities. I long that we would be a people who change the atmosphere in the places that we go. That we, the way that we seek God, that heaven meets earth. And so when I say sing, I'm not saying you have to be the best singer. I'm just saying, man, sing what's in there. If God has done something for you, if he's done something for you, if he's forgiven you, if he said your name's in his book and that you're his daughter and, you're, and I'm his son and that you're beloved because of what Jesus has done and it's done, like let's sing from a response of that. Let's enter into our spheres of life with that joy spewing and bubbling out because, we, because he's great. And I know, listen, I'm not from Boston, and I, listen, I know a lot of people think, and they're in your head, and I, I think there's a point where we're going to say, man, there's some stuff in here that I need to express to God. 
We need to talk to him, right? When it says joy here, it says this joy is often accompanied with some kind of movement or voice or something in response because it cannot be contained. And I'm saying, like, you might not feel it right now, but let's just declare who he is. Let's circle up, and as we sing, let's say, man, God, you're great, and let our hearts catch up to that. And who cares what anyone else thinks? I don't care at this point. I'm over 40. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to be like people's magazine. It doesn't matter. Like, I just want, let's, let's, let's abandon that and, 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 and lean into worship. That, that's what we're here for. And this is the kind of community that I, I want to see happen. I, we're not, I don't want to be the coolest church on the block. I want to be the most ardent church on the block. Yeah, and if we, if we cry, man, if, we, if we, there's something we can't contain, let's just go, man. Let's not hold back because we need it. We've gone through a long season. There's stuff in there. And worship is the key. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we just, we love you. We love you. And um, I, I know that you're here. I know you're speaking. You, you want to do something in this church. You love your church. You love your church so much. God, you love people so much, Lord. Oh, God, you want to see the lost come home. You want to see the broken healed. You want to see your kingdom come. You want to see justice in the, in the land of the living God. We exalt you, Jesus. You're good. You're great. You're worthy of praise. You're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our hearts. You're worthy to open the scrolls, Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us beloved. Thank you that you're here. God, we just pour out our hearts to you. Minister to us, Father. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen.